welcome to the second annual Health and Human Rights Summit here in Tucson, Arizona. My name is Drew Heaton and I am the director for Humans for Humanity Coalition. Our mission is to awaken individuals to the health and human rights crisis of our day. We promote, preserve, and protect traditional ethics, objective scientific research, and informed medical consent. We believe in the ethical treatment of human beings and in the abolition of human exploitation. Through coordinated volunteerism, personal religious practice, and personal spiritual refinement, we educate citizens and political leaders regarding the ethical questions that influence government policy. And we financially support through fundraising those organizations which share our values. We support the values of compassion over criticism, forgiveness over condemnation, autonomy over subjection, consent over coercion, and data over dogma. If you're wondering what coordinated volunteerism is or looks like, this summit is the perfect example. United in the desire to preserve liberty for ourselves, our children, and future generations, many individuals donated their time, talents, and resources on their own initiative. No one in our organization receives compensation for their service. The monumental effort so many individuals provided to bring this event to fruition is a miracle. All right, well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is a continuation of our talk from yesterday. And so I've just recreated my space a little bit here in, in the event that anyone wasn't here yesterday, uh, just reinforcing that these are my little puppets, the mothers, um, and that we're here doing today uh, the work today on the behalf of natural life, the keepers of life, and for the children and the natural world, which is sort of my nature panopticon. And um, I really appreciate it. We, we continue to have excellent talks. It's, it's great how things all knit together. And you know, I just want to reemphasize Patrick's assessment that, that what is unfolding is beyond political partisanship. That is a really a global economic shift that is underway, or an attempted shift, right? The, an enforcement of an intended shift that may or may not come to fruition. Um, and so just, just as we imagine this new technocratic or in, socially engineered, industrial engineered order of inputs and outputs and energy credits would be applied over the world and the humanity of the world and people would lose their agency to this mechanical system. You know, I just want to reinforce a lot of my context yesterday was in considering what happened with the conquering of this continent by European settlers. And in many ways, that too was an overlayment of a new uh, economic order, a new order of faith and practice that then largely, you know, try to, you know, excise the existing order. And so I think these these dynamics of domination sort of run through our histories and it's important to, to consider that. So I just want to start with this, this intention that I had said that my friend shared with me about the children, just that we're starting in the right place, um, that children's growth is guided by love and that thirst for power and control have no jurisdiction here. Because I would say the reality is, is that most of us who are here in this room are pretty disposable to this system. They're probably not planning on trying to rope us in. We are, we are, we'll be jettisoned as soon as they find convenient. But what they really want 
or the, the children and the not yet born to have that normalization, right? To know that there's no difference than, you know, sitting up and down at this, the ring of the tone, you know, in that doctor's office. They want them to always think it's always been that you stand up when the tone happens. And so it's our position to be able to, to stop that. So just hitting on a couple of slides from yesterday, just to reinforce, I feel like personally my worldview is that we're at this crossroads of natural life or a synthetic life that is digital and militarized and looking at one's connection to sacred places in nature versus a, a military video game. Um, and so gamification is the theme of the day today. Um, this is from the Global Education Futures Forum, this era of gaming that you can see below. Games become everyday format of life. And so it's very important to understand that the gaming, that gamification and game theory are a central element of both um, role-playing defense and role-playing financial markets. Okay, so signals intelligence feed both of those things. And the gamification is part of that scenario planning process. And so by putting us in their game, um, it is putting us um, in a game that is not our own and we, we lose, lose our own agency. And so as I, just to reemphasize yesterday, I spoke about this new financial structure of human capital finance. It's also looking to, to financialize all of natural life. So my focus has been largely on managing people, um, but it's in relation to the environment, and that is where Agenda 21 and the Extinction Rebellion, the corporate capture of the environmental movement moves in, is that they want to manage us in relation to the world's resources. And so that they, they say they will protect us from the world's resources because we might get sick from them. They'll protect the resources from us because we might hurt nature, and that is the how they will keep us apart. And, and the World Bank's One Health um, and program is a part of that. But it, we have to understand that the two pieces of these, it runs on the sustainable development goals. And so one piece is largely about managing people, and one is about managing neighbor, uh, uh, nature, and they're in relation to one another. And um, Corey Morningstar, she's a contributor to Wrong Kind of Green, and she really does a lot on the environmental angle, the corporate capture of the environment. Um, so it's based on pay-for-success finance, really this idea of outcomes-based contracts, which are being sold to us as accountability and transparency. But it's accountability and transparency to an industrial engineered machine that seeks to eat our souls, really. And so this idea of you, that you have, you predictively profile people, and the scientists, I think I would say we need to understand them beyond the white coat lab scientists, but also the data analysts. The scientism religion also is, is, is largely run on big data analytics. And so even beyond the, the white coat doctors and the health professionals, that the new, the data analysts will potentially supersede that in the religion of scientism that is proceeding. So we will predictively profile people as a debt commodity, a debt on society based on genomics, geography, parent situation. We will say that we will fix them with an evidence-based solution. Uh, we will get investors to invest in that solution, and then we will track people. And so this system enacts overall surveillance, and then we will involve 30 parties to look at the data oftentimes with defense or state intelligence ties, and then hedge funds can short the debt and either bet on how we do in the game, right? And then the game begins again. And so people who have issues with everything can fall under this rubric. It's a um, chronic illness, uh, uh, food access, education, housing issues, mental health issues, all of these things are embedded into this machine to be gamified as social engineering, as Patrick has stated in his earlier talk. 
So the name of the game. And Alana, it's, it's funny, I forgot that that was in part of your book, but my friend Joseph, again, who's he's a combat veteran, he's like, yes, the game is full spectrum dominance. So it is, it is full spectrum dominance. And, and I had actually put that up before I remembered that you know, just to reinforce in Alana's book, that is her focus. It is the full spectrum. And it goes from space to the microbiome. So that, you know, she, she spoke about frequency, right? But the, the other full fullness of it is from space, because a lot of this game will be run on satellite communications, and then down to the microbiome. And both of those spaces are spaces that the state of Arizona is actively engaged with. Okay, and so I think it's important. I try to provide local context to this. So that's the spectrum of domination. Again, I spoke yesterday um, quite often about Michael Crow, the president of um, Arizona State University and his ties. He's the founding board chair of InQtel, which is the venture capital arm of the CIA. And you know, you see there George Tenet is, is on the, the advisor group of that, that as well. Mm -hmm. So what, what is InQtel investing in? Yesterday I mentioned Pokemon Go, uh, Niantic, which developed Pokemon Go. But there, this is one of just about eight pages of open investments they have. And if you, if you look, it's, it's uh, trusted infrastructure, digital intelligence, autonomous systems. It's, you, you see lots of autonomous, lots of trusted. That trust isn't human-based trust. That is mechanical trust. That is systems engineering. That is an industrial engineer. It's a social infrastructure that is actually essentially being underwritten by state intelligence, working in collaboration with this global finance system. So um, again, this is, this is local, so uh, University of Arizona here. They have the, the, the business school, a program called Insight, which they say it's the Center for Business Intelligence and Analytics, so big data research um, of all sorts. And they have all sorts of things around healthcare data and other sorts of data intelligence. But you can look, I, over there I put their sponsors, and their sponsors sort of say a lot as to the kind of work that, that's involved. I mean, the, the CIA is a sponsor of this business intelligence, and Raytheon, and SAP, and Oracle, um, and Amazon. So if, if we're talking about the, the systems engineering, it is fundamentally a militarized space. And when we think about the, the concept of domination, most people average everyday people, even people with graduate degrees or you know, who have credentials, are not aware that this structure is being put in place and what the relationships are. Even though if you go to look, it's pretty obvious. They, they, you know, they put it right on their web pages who, where their money is coming from. But these are the people who want to know the analytics. I also will point out um, NASA on there, so that's the space. So this uh, yesterday I talked a little bit about mixed reality, augmented reality, where you use the geolocation data. Um, you know, Operation Keyhole, Google. You know, it, it's really convenient to have a map that knows where you are and can tell you what to do and what restaurants to go to. But ultimately, that's based on real-time tracking of you within space, and then the overlayment of information through sensor networks onto the space. And I had mentioned about Niantic again being funded through InQtel slash CIA, and they're developing things called augmented cities, where they're, um, it's all fun, right? They start out with the fun things, like the Pokemon Go games, isn't this entertaining, catch a monster. Here, we're gonna do local history. We'll put it in all your public parks, so you can scan your phone, and you can hear interpretation. Um, but it's gonna be so convenient when no one is allowed to walk closer than six feet to anyone else, right? Here we'll have your own pop-up art performance, right? You can interact digitally with a fountain on your phone. And it's, these are the augmenting that they're talking about, but it's starting off in a slow, soft version, like that it's like, well, who could be against having a poetry tour downtown? You know, like, and then you say, but it's the CIA, and like they don't believe you. So, so this is, and the other piece of this, so you can see there's um, Magic Leap, and I think, so if you, 
someone recommended to me to read Neil Stevenson's book, The Diamond Age, and it was written in 1995, and it pretty much has all of this embedded, all of this technology, nanobots, one world government, uh, uh, tutors on iPads, um, you know, all, uh, digital governments and, and automated court systems and incarceration systems. Um, and he became, he worked for Jeff Bezos for a while, and then he became the head futurist at Magic Leap Virtual Reality. So that is sort of, you can see they're working on miniaturizing it smaller and smaller. Like you can wear your laptop in your headset. And so a lot of times what we're going to hear about uh, moving forward is middle middle skills jobs, reskilling people for the new economy, the future of work. And it's all, my sense is that a lot of these programs people are thinking, oh, we're talking about traditional like um, career technical education, vocational education, like you're going to go somewhere and someone, a person is going to teach you. And no, what they're imagining is virtual reality apprenticeships that are handled through these mixed reality uh, laptops. And if you imagine that as programming, like you know, the individuals who are partners with these data analytics firms or other firms are programming the content that you receive through that headset and how you see the world. You're essentially forsaking the agency of you seeing the world with your own eyes, with the eyes of the intelligence community. So what is this purpose? Um, in my feeling is that this is foundationally about eugenics, um, but in, in many respects, if we imagine eugenics, um, you know, as you know, in the past of like, how can we create the perfect human, right? The strong, you know, intellectual. Um, this world is for post-human. They don't want the strong, critical thinking people as, they don't want those people around. Actually, what they pretty much want is a commodity they can manage through chronic illness and mental health and um, that is under their control um, so that they can have them as a dependency to run these pay-for-success deals and make them code this virtual world. Is that in my opinion? And if you look back and, you know, it was sort of devastating to me, but when I was looking at the first social entrepreneurs um, in this Michael Young and he's in the UK, so again, I had mentioned a lot of this is coming through the socialized systems, not that people don't need supports, especially if they're all going to be kicked out of their jobs, but that the, the engineered society, this guy, Michael Young, was the thought leader for um, uh, the Labor Party post-World War II. And so he was involved in creating the NHS, and he was connected to the London School of Economics and the Fabian Society. And those individuals were very much eugenics. And emphasis, you know, and I didn't know that they even existed. I didn't even know to know about the Fabian Society, um, and I had some someone who leans left. I mean, honestly, and so when I found this this thread that distance learning, you know, state health systems, all of these things, and you match it, I didn't know about the, the background of the Rockefeller medicine allopathic. Like I'm new to a lot of this, so it made a lot of sense to me that you 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 create a system. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing that purports to care for you, and then when you give yourself over to them, it's not that at all. So I think I might have mentioned this yesterday about the Japan, oh, I used a different slide, the Japan Science and Technology Agency. This is their uh, moonshot project. And again, we have to understand that as coming through both um, Nippon Telegraph and Telephone and SoftBank, which is the largest uh, disruptive AI and robotics fund. They're channeling out a lot of the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund money. So when we talk about like diversity, equity, inclusion, um, as much as, you know, Clearly, we want to have vital, vibrant places with lots of people. What they're actually laying the groundwork for here is cybernetics and to create the status of robots or human hybrids as a diversity issue. Um, and then it's not just you can see that what they're aiming for is augmented creatures, which also beyond human include animal plants 
and other beings and artificial ones, artificial creatures within physical cyber environments. And so like when I sit here and like I bring this piece of driftwood from the river, like I'm saying this is serious because we as humans have a responsibility because it is our fellow humans that are enacting this on the world. Like the moss doesn't have a say, like the cacti don't have a say if, about this geoengineering. And so it's really up to us to, to interrogate the system. And a lot of it's been being framed also within the disability rights movement. So they're, they're in, in Tokyo, they've been piloting remote operated ro robotics. So they'll say, oh, you're in a hospital bed, you have ALS, you, you can't, you're, you're mostly you know, people with significant impairment, uh, but you can work in a cafe through a robot. Right? And if you imagine, like, they frame it as, isn't it lovely to be social out in the world in that way? And yes, like, clearly having some, like, there are, there are real limitations, but it's this dual use, right? Are they going to make the person pay off their time in a hospital by working in this cafe? Like, is it a really a caring thing that you're trying to enrich someone's life, or is it another way of slave labor? And so these, these policies are moving forward. So I would just say gamification is central. Kevin Werbach, I might have mentioned him before. He's a professor at Wharton, and he, he blends both gamification and blockchain. And what Werbach has said to his group of Wharton alumni, because he said, you know, a lot of people don't even know that there's a game. And a lot of people don't know the rules, and sometimes the rules are unexpected. Um, so really, it's best to be the one that designs the game, right? And so that, like, if you're a Wharton alum, then you get to be in the room where Kevin Werbach says, you want to design the game, folks. You want to be the designer. And so you can see here, we're talking the behavioral analytics is leading to transhumanism. And I spoke yesterday a bit about using the data analytics to train the machines to be more human, right? So they're, they're linking the analytics into the uh, transhumanist program. And I sort of liken it like uh, one of the big players in this is actually Epic Games. Epic Games was able to scale Fortnite with money from Tencent in, in China. Tencent is a major uh, investor in the video game world, the virtual world. And it's sort of like the next iteration of the, the pick your own adventure books. <laughs> you know, like there's different quests and different tasks and you can come to different outcomes depending on at different forks in the road, the choices that are made or the outcomes. Uh, but ultimately it wasn't your book. Like you didn't write that book, you're in somebody else's book, you're in somebody else's game. And so if we accede to living in a world that is gamified, we're living in somebody else's game and they know the rules and we don't. Um, so I will just share this image. Like I encourage people, especially if you care about nature and the environmental movement because so much of it has been captured through corporate interests. Uh, this is the internet of bio nano things. And this, this image from Ian Achilles, um, he's at Georgia Tech, I mentioned him yesterday. This, this has been in, in the process for the last like 15 or 20 years. Now I'm not in the tech space so I don't know if these are people who are blowing hot air, you know, that this is far from happening or not, the, clearly Georgia Tech is a major defense contracting research institution. Um, but the, these powerful people who are using our tax dollars <laughs> largely to do this research are imagining a cyber physical environment with uh, nanobots and voice to skull technology in which we interface with our world through electrical signals intelligence, right? And, and, and it's very true, you know, I'm still learning a lot of these things that we may, I mean, we're clearly electrical beings living in an electrical world and we're already in, engaging in electrical ways. Like we know that like the good feelings we feel when we're all here together and we're kind of on the same page, it feels good and there's an electrical element to that. But what does that mean that what they are building with their nanotechnology that Alana spoke to yesterday so clearly? Um, so... Yeah, so I just I just sort of visual when I was looking for like I feel like what they want to do is create husks of people, right? And then and then 
like gut us out and make their machines. And so just when I, I happened to be looking for virtual reality and different things in Arizona and the zombie game came up, you know, Arizona spring. So I don't, I'm not a gamer. I don't know if this is a good game or not, but like, it's a pretty great, it had an adult rating on it. So I sort of feel like we're against the Arizona spring zombie apocalypse version versus like someone who's actually fighting for like a sacred, like a cultural connection to place and community. So that's, that's sort of the game. So what is the board? So smart cities, I mean, that's something that Patrick knows very much about. Um, you know, and a lot of they're being run through space, running through these nanotechnologies. Essentially this idea, and we've heard in Nevada that they're talking about creating new cities now that are run by companies. Um, like company towns, right, coal towns. If you imagine the mining towns are now, the mining is they're mining your body, right? And it's the tech companies that are setting them up. Um, that the world, virtual world, the gamified world is the game board. And then really, literally, the pieces in this game are our bodies from our, our both our cells and our frequencies. So, you know, I really, like, I, I think I mentioned yesterday that I wanted to try to get out to that Vatican telescope, but I feel like it is, it is the sacred and profane engagement, right? And is a, it is a scientism, again, when, you know, and that's the interesting thing about this Vatican telescope. Why is it the Vatican and Arizona State University so interested in space? You know, is it just for, for you know, is it, is, is it a faith thing or is it something else? You know, because we know that this game is going to be run, run from space. Um, so this is, this is a... a an image from my friend Joseph's um, game that he's working on. And actually, it's interesting because it reminded me a little bit of Salt Lake City, the mountains, or here, I guess, a little bit. Um, and so he's, he's building it. And so if you imagine the world being recreated as a game, actually, there's a lot of work to be done. All of those tabs, all of those numbers, there's all sorts of math. And then you code, you know, how people interact and how vehicles interact and what the behaviors are. It's coding. It literally is social engineering. But you're socially engineering a game in which X amount of stuff is fixed according to code. And then you enter real people who sign in and log in and play in this space. So this is sort of like transmuting a real landscape into this space that is is not under our control. Again, the spatial web. This just talks about, if you look at the spatial web foundation, I put this up here, it's worth looking at the report. Again, I do not know how close they are in this technology, but you can see in the lower version um, uh, the augmented reality, right? Someone walking in this pop-up. It's not unlike Minority Report. Like we've seen that when the guy walks through the mall and the messages pop up to him that are personalized to him. Um, they're talking about hyperporting of users and smart assets between spaces. And so my understanding, again, I'm not a gamer, but that you can get to different parts of the game by like clicking through. You can port into different parts of the game, different quests, different elements. So really what we're looking at, like when you see on your social media, like little rooms, like do you want to create a room with someone? Like that's a portal, like you're hyper, like they're normalizing all of this, like you will hyperport into this room. And I had mentioned yesterday about the blockchain transhumanist brains, like some Thing in that room might not even be a human. It might be like the kitten, kitten printing toaster, you know, in there that you're connecting to in your room to solve a global problem of climate crisis or something like that. Um, so I want to say that the world is going to be mediated by contracts. I need people who are in the legal space or the accounting space to understand what they're building because they're not going to need you to either when they get there. Okay, and it's gonna start small. It's gonna start like, okay, here's a signature for a smart contract, right? So this is, this is the starting point. We as a state have acknowledged the smart contracts, but look, it's, on a, it's a signature. And who's gonna say, well, that's a bad idea, right? Because we're all locked in now. 
How you can't go to the thing. Like you have to sign something. What, well, sure, we need a smart contract. Well, let's get those smart contracts on quick, quick, quick. You know. And it's interesting because when I went to Salt Lake City, one of the major anchor tenants in Silicon Slopes is Adobe. So I'm still trying to figure out if anybody has ideas about where Adobe plays in this, but I think it's going to have something to do with these documents and smart contracts and media, uh, navigating the virtual web. But if anybody afterwards has some, I'd like to know there's something going on with Adobe in this. Um, but it's, it's mediated by QR code. So up at the top is a lock system that's a QR code mediated lock access point. And all you have to do is imagine all the things you engage with on a daily basis having a lock on them and then having a contract decide, depending on your level of access, whether or not you're able to engage with that material. So again, um, smart cities are the center. I know many people have done far depth, deeper research into to that program, that agenda, you know, as well as Rosa Corey, who has recently passed, which is very sad, just in her honor, acknowledging her work in that space too. Um, if we understand smart cities as following in the tradition of reservation systems, you know, where we, we put displaced people that we were inconveniently located in things that were places that we wanted to have access to. Um, I think that is the model. And like, I never knew, like, this is just floating out, like, this is not hard to find about, you know, the, the mad scientist megacity map. Like, th this is from 2012, right? So this is a 2012 about documenting mega. They know that they're going to put you in megacities. Like, we're not asking to all be in a megacity. I mean, I like my city. I'm not an anti-city person. Some people are like, oh, I'm definitely not a city person. But at the same time, the people in the cities aren't asking to be part of a mega region either. And this is in, this, in one of these documents about the megacities, they said they're going to have uh, like mile-long corridors of orchards and parks so that they can mobilize the military between the giant sections of the mega regions. Like they're going to keep clear, like cleared areas that aren't built up so that they can move their forces. It's pretty scary. And they talk about asymmetrical warfare. So what they talk about is they talk about warfare in an urban zone, which is really intense and challenging. And that is not unlike Cochise and Geronimo, like in the mountains there. That was asymmetrical warfare. So this is, they're learning those lessons and then they're applying them to the smart city regions. So I mentioned yesterday James Giordano, who's a professor at Georgetown. He's talking about neuroweapons, right, accessing people's minds. And we had talked previously about accessing the blood-brain barrier and nanotechnology. Um, so they're talking about accessing neural systems to protect the polis, right? So if you're a threat to the smart city, you, are, you, are, you, you could become a target of a neurotech weapon. And that is the framing, and I think that is really important to understand is that, you know, and how we should do it remains an issue. So they're sort of touting that there's an ethical element of this, but don't think that they haven't already game-played the scenarios here. Um, and again, you know, you guys, you guys got Gates setting up his smart city, right? So, you know, we, we, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. So again, I mentioned the Internet of Bodies. This is, I actually, I ended up weirdly about four years ago in an angel investor meeting that I did not know about. It was an Evite on, I had like in my Google alerts, I still have Google alerts. It was like Internet of Things, Smart Cities, and Pay for Success. And it was a, it was a meetup at a, a, a co-working space in Washington that was connected to um, Microsoft and the IMF. And it was about all of those things. And the gentleman that ran this company was there, the Smart Internet of Things School. 
And it turned out it was a box lunch. There were only 12 people. Like I thought it was a big auditorium of people. And I was there with three other people who were, I mean, clearly I was not an investor. And I called them out and I said, this is not okay. And this guy, he said like, he, he ran some big network in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And he said that he took his daughter's history class online because she didn't like history. And I said, you know, now they'd know from behavioral biometrics it wasn't her, right? And he just looked at me. But they know what they're doing. They know what they're building. This was three or four years ago. So they're going to smart up your kid's school in every aspect, getting to them to and fro and what it is until they disappear the schools and they do it all to your house. Um, this is the house. This is Casita. This is a model. If you've noticed, I don't know, in Philly, we have all sorts of pop-ups now. Pop-up your, you know, things and pop-up parks and pop-up. They often use these cargo containers. Sorry. And um, so these cargo containers are sold. There's a video. It's like mid-century modern luxury, right? Like, look, you can pull out your bed. You can pull out your TV. You can do. And essentially, but they're like, yeah, here's 60 Internet of Things, things that are embedded in your casita. And they're selling them as like in-law suites. Oh, it's so cool. You can have your, your mom in the bed. So that, but they said, we're going to roll these things off like cars. We're going to, because it's all prefab. So we need to keep an eye, a very close eye on manufactured housing industry, because how are they going to build the megacities? It's going to be printing offsite, trucked, and then installed rapidly. And even in Philadelphia, a lot of the gentrification is happening um, with prefab housing in part. But it's not to this point. And you, you can see this, that is actually from their logo. They stack and pack. When we talk stack and pack, they are literally developing infrastructure to stack and pack those things. Because you're not getting out of them. <laughs> like once they put you in there, you're, I mean, you're on the third floor. You think you're getting going down? No, the QR code is not letting you down very often. You're in the zoo. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not, I don't want this to happen, but people need to know that these things, all of these pieces are rolling, right? So how do you get to move? How do you get to move? Well, that's the social credit. That's the geofencing from the satellites. You'll hear a lot of discussion now about mobility solutions. And again, a lot of it is time to climb it, right? Like we can't have our own cars. Now, listen, I like to take the bus. I, I like to like I, I like to ride my bike. I like to do these things, right? Do I want to have my mobility solution limited because Uber took up the pub, took over the public transit system, and now if I don't have a medically compliant QR code, I'm not going to be able to access any of their solutions? No, I don't want that. I want the city that I came to, which is a city with services. <laughs> even though they were rather inadequate, that are under the control of the people, not private investors. So the MyPass project is really important to know about. I wrote about this last April, and I'm really hoping that the medical you know, freedom, the health choice community understands the breadth. So the medical passporting system, the biometric system, is meant to, for this much larger program to track you as a player in the smart city. That is the, that is the reason when people say, why is this happening? Yes, it is about health because ultimately the cell therapies are towards this transhumanist program and they want to control you inside and out, but they need you on blockchain or if not blockchain, some sort of interoperable database tracking system for the predictive analytics and they're going to get you there. So Robert Woods Johnson Foundation uh, teamed up with Bloomberg in Austin to put unhoused people on blockchain. Now ostensibly it was to put their healthcare records on there and it did not involve a sensor necessarily. It was a laminated QR code that tied to their biometric and their health data, okay? So they call it my pass, <laughs> my pass. Like it should be very clear. And I will say a lot of the conversations around IBM and the Excelsior pass have focused a lot on the Hollerith cards, which are important. But the piece that doesn't get surfaced nearly as often is that IBM technology was used to enforce the apartheid system in South Africa. And in many respects, that's the more apt program at the moment is the pass system and IBM's connection to the mobility, right? If depending on who you are is how you're connected. So um, 
you know, the, the EU is doing the digital vaccines. Um, the Idemia, if you've flown anywhere lately, you'll notice the kiosk was probably an Idemia kiosk. That's a French company. I think it's probably tied to the Rothschilds through France. They're developing augmented identity and driver, digital driver's licenses. So that is coming. Uh, the, t the piece at the top is from a blockchain poverty management protocol called Alice SI. And they talk about developing the self-sovereign identity management systems, which allows social organizations to track people. Okay, so we have to understand that the nonprofit institutions, as well as the government support systems, it's all being weaponized. It's all being weaponized. And this will be the other piece of this, and I will talk, go into this later, is that faith communities are often providers of social services. And so they are being drawn into this too. And they are going to have to make a really clear choice about serving people and expanding their mission, whether it's on blockchain or not, and whether they're allowing dispossessed people to be bet upon as commodities. And my, I mean, my position is I don't think people of true faith would think that that is an appropriate way to treat a fellow human being as a commodity for investment, but people are going to have to get really clear about that pretty soon. So can we play this one? So this is an augmented reality clip. I think it's a minute and a half. Yeah. So again, I'm not a tech person. I do not have a good sense of how close this all is or whether these are ads, that they're very close. Like, I know that they have pilot programs where they have people as commodities on blockchain, how scalable it is. But they're not keeping it hidden what, um, sorry, oh, okay. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not keeping it hidden what their ultimate goal is if we don't say we don't want that, right? And they want us to want it. And they want the children to want it too. That that's the thing. They want the children to want this. So again, if you see, if you notice, the light motif has been very much about hexagons, right? Um, hive mind, but it's also the most efficient use of space and tiling, which I think is really interesting from a gamification. The Settlers of Catan board game is hexagons, and Uber uses its hexagons to tile the world. So I'll just emphasize that Uber is not a, a ride-sharing company. Uber is a geofencing company. Okay. That's what these companies are. They're not ride sharing. They're about not letting you on if you're not compliant. It's, it's a geofencing fencing company. Their mobility solutions will take over public transit systems. They will not let you have your own car. And then that's, that's how it's going to go. So, um, so again, uh, leveraging data to predict behavior. I just mentioned about the space. They're going to control this stuff from space. Uh, there was a Harvard Business Review article uh, early last April that said that they needed, they were going to, they suggested using macro eyes uh, technology, which I believe is an Israeli company, to uh, use satellite imagery to predict uh, uh, immunization from space, African children. This was a, framed as an equity issue. Okay, so they're already using satellites to track children from space as an equity issue, right? So that's, and that's Harvard Business Review, guys. I mean, I'm not making, this is not a crappy source. This is like they're telling you what they're doing. Um, so again, you know, you guys have the, the ride sharing, and I would highly recommend, if you're looking for a sci-fi book, uh, there's a book called Rainbow's End by Werner Vinge. He's a professor emeritus of UC, at UC San Diego Math and Computing. He was the one who postulated the singularity. He's also, he's written a lot of science fiction books. Rainbow's End talks about a future, a near future dystopia of augmented reality, where everyone wears in the world, everybody sees differs depending on how they program it and and people aren't allowed to have their own cars all the cars are autonomous and you have to you know be able to be allowed to get in them so um, I will say you know I know there's a lot of back and forth about 
you know, the US, China policies. I will just want to reemphasize that a lot of the social, the credit scoring apparatus originated in the United States. Um, and, and Strive Together has this social emotional learning task force. And I'm trying to remember, Rosenberger, his last name is. I think it's Larry Rosenberger. He's on the social emotional learning task force for Strive Together. And he like was the head of the FICO scoring system for like 30 years and is now into every behavioral analytics company on every board, right? So if it's one thing to point fingers at China and certainly they have a, a situation that allows them to pilot things in ways that are much more seamless, but like we also have to kind of, you know, don't throw rocks if <laughs> you're living in a glass house, guys. You know, we started a lot of this and a lot of it's running through the IEEE, International Electrical Engineering, Engineers and Engineering Association. They're doing a lot of pilots in China. So they were actually already tracking social credit scoring behavior with people on parole. So imagine you get a workforce pathway, you get a remediation pathway, you're put on it, and then they know by where you check in with your QR code or where you've checked in with your on digital tablets, where, where um, if you're compliant to that program. They also, in China, they had a QR code mobility solution bike, where if you didn't put your bike back in the proper place because people are dropping those scooters and bikes everywhere and littering the sidewalks, like they dock you points on your credit score. So these Internet of Things systems are already happening in small ways. And then we've got the Advanced Mobility Collective, and this is out of, I think, NC State. And, you know, they're talking about the packages and all of these things being delivered, um, you know, the 5G technology and the Internet of Things and how amazing it's going to be. But no one really understands, like, we need to have, like, a really heart-to-heart -heart conversation with ourselves about, like, drone warfare people. <laughs> because, you know, at this point, like, the, the chickens come back to roost a little bit on that, right? Like, we never really thought about drones being used against us. But, you know, it's not all just packages and medicine that they're delivering. They're also collecting all sorts of data and intelligence with that. Um, so this is kind of a thing. I will I will credit Sophia Smallstrom on this because she was the one who introduced me to to the idea of uh, piezoelectric human energy harvest. But this goes very much to what Patrick was saying about within the technocracy element that there's an input output and a balanced ledger system. Which again, blockchain, right? Are we is, is that what they're going to use for it? Um, so they're already talking about, this was in 2013, I think, uh, parasitic power harvesting in shoes. And if you don't think like all the high-end shoe manufacturers are into piezoelectric, they're talking about sensors and pavement. Every single little tap you make, they want to harvest all of that because how are they going to run their virtual universe? They need every scrap of energy they can get to build it and hold, keep it going. Um, the first social impact bond for health has started now out of Sweden. It is... Um, done in conjunction with Social Finance Israel. Uh, they are connected to an entity that's doing pilots with smart shirts and smart technology, nanotechnology wearables with Stanford. Like they've got new factories in Portugal. Like this is a global thing. Like for any of us to sort of still be also like when we say, let's not think about it in partisan terms. Like I think there's one thing to say that we need to, to uh, celebrate our local communities and our identities, uh, but it needs to be in solidarity with everyone else because nobody's an island. You can't stop the internet of bodies because it's run from space at this point. So we need to have solidarity with that. But they're developing the tech, tech now. And this someone shared with me this week, which is just devastating. And this was some of the Netherlands in 2018. They're harvesting human body heat to run blockchain. 
And you can see it says speculative capital with Bitcoin next to it. So they had a vest and there would be this sensor vest. And like, you know, people like, I mean, imagine that out here, right? <laughs> like if you get sweaty and like harvest your sweat to power the blockchain. But like these are the things. And like on the one hand, you're like, well, that doesn't seem scalable. And I don't know. I'm not saying I'm the expert in this. But what I'm saying is I'm up for asking ethical questions. Picture a warehouse um, of dispossessed, unhoused people with their blockchain laminate card being tucked in at night and plugged into the blockchain. Like it really is the matrix. It's not that far off of the matrix. And if we are not willing to have the integrity across the political scenario, because I don't think any of us humans who stand for life would accept that that is a future we want for anyone, right? So heads up, that's coming. The other thing is like, piezoelectricity in the pineal gland, which is something I need to know more about and any of you medical people, like I know about calcification, but when I'm seeing things like using um, like transducers and piezoelectricity in your brain, and I know about these brainwave headbands, I'm like, what is going on with that? Like, are they actually not only gonna be your, your you know, blinking, like they wanna put nanowires on your eyelids and your, your throat, so when you swallow, you're creating energy and they're capturing it to power, ostensibly, your wearable device. But, um, and, you know, and who knows it, how much energy that's going to create. But what if your thoughts, would they harvest the energy of your thoughts? Um, and, you know, we have BrainCo. BrainCo's already developed these. These are being framed as, like, biofeedback devices. Again, which a lot of people in alternative health systems like biofeedback. So this seems like a nice thing unless it's a parasite on your brain. Um, and I would say a lot of the selling of this is around social justice issues where they're triggering, and this is directly through the United Nations, they have virtual reality initiatives around issues of refugees. I mean, serious issues. I am not in no way diminishing the nature of the issue, but they are creating essentially mental propaganda to like create crisis feelings in people's minds. Through In this thing, it's someone, I think they're standing in a food line and he has a heart attack. And then it's like you're supposed to role play what you do with a guy on the sidewalk with a heart attack. And you, this, you can see the guy in the virtual reality headset. It's like he's watching it. And so the measurable behavior change that is part of the game is part of all of this. So that's really predatory. I mean, that's incredibly, incredibly, especially once we understand, you know, U USC Institute of Creative Technologies is Hollywood plus the Army Research Lab. So who's running the game? A lot of these folks you know, military, state intelligence, World Economic Forum, United Nations, hedge funds, media tech, pharma, faith communities. And I always say, like, in the bigger scheme of things, because I feel it's unifying, is the predator energy. And that's something John Trudell, who is a leader in the American Indian movement, he always spoke of the predator energy that seeks to mine the being part of human. And I think at the baseline, it is this whatever you want to call that, whether you want to give it something that's related to your faith practice or whatever. But there is something out there that is, is anti-life. Who's, who's doing this? So, I, you know, I would bump into these things early on and not really know, like, know it was bad and not really understand what was going on. So our uh, school superintendent, William Height, was sitting as an advi education advisor on the board of Ridge Lane LP Limited Partners, the venture, vent venture development at the apex of the public and private sector. So just like this is bipartisan, it runs on public-private partnerships. It is a P3, it is a, a fascist structure. It's a corporate governance structure. And so what they're into, they're the deal makers for these pay for success projects. And they're into real estate, IT, sustainability, and education. Yeah, education, right? And so they've got, they've, they've got a whole stable of bipartisan former governors, former elected officials. Um, they've got all sorts of army generals, and they've got, you know, 
think tank people, and they got a ton of people, I think, from KPMG or Deloitte. Like, these, these guys, they got everybody on there. Ridge is Tom Ridge, our former governor and the first head of Homeland Security, and the, his sidekick, R. Brad Lane, is doing some sort of, like, neurocognitive fellowship at Stanford, right? Go figure. I don't know what he's doing over there, but it's probably not good. Um, so, again, the UN, like, we know that the UN development, uh, sustainable development goals are, are the game. That's the rules of the game. You guys have a presence here. I know it looks like it's just in a shopping center. You might want to keep an eye on it. I don't really know how far that goes, but like I think there's stuff that's often connected to the universities. Um, again, we know about the globalization, the World Economic Forum. This is being tied to the dispossession of people, people's meaningful life work to robots and algorithms, and that's the next phase. And it is going to be public-private, so that's the impact. Whenever you see impact, you know that's, that's the game. We're in the game if you need a heads up. The other piece of this is just, and you guys are familiar with the pharma industry as in and of itself, like beyond the human capital bonds, which I think many people who understand the harm of big pharma haven't yet made the connection, expanded their view to the human capital bonds and the behavioral analytics. But if you understand that big pharma is now moving into digital therapeutics, which is prescription gaming, and also the biotech, so when I went to Salt Lake City in January and I said, hey, like Utah, you guys have a thousand biotech companies in your state. How are they gonna grow? Like literally, because like every state wants to be economically viable, right? You've got a thousand of these, that's a lot. How do they grow? So they are either gonna grow because you have ever more people sick or you can compel people who are not sick to use your product. Because that's their product, is a product around the body. It's this human plus. Right, so I mean, if, if Salt Lake City had 1,000, I mean, Arizona Bioscience has uh, 2,100. 2, so you guys are really deep into the, the biotech, and that's the question. If you're building a global, do you wanna build it on something that's gonna keep you compromised? Um, so again, the game is collective impact, the maze. It's about, again, beyond managing your health, managing your uh, skills. Right? And I think the skills, as I mentioned with the virtual reality, is about giving you a task and having you go through the motions, knowing you're probably never going to get to do that job. They're going to say, we've got all the future of work, we've got all these jobs, we have to reskill everyone. No, because those jobs, they're not going to let you have those jobs. Like by the time you get done, they'll say, oh, guess what, that skill is out of date. Could you do a new skill? And so, but the, meanwhile, they're going to harvest your essence, like your soul, your, you know, how you move, your biometrics to feed the robots. And this has been set up for a really long time. So this goes back to Mark Tucker, anybody in the education space knows. He's the one who wrote the Dear Hillary letter. And I have to say, as someone on the left, like I do have to like strongly appreciate the conservatives who have been calling this out for years because you were right. You were very right, right? He's a very bad guy, right? I mean, I will admit, what I, I mean, I did not want to, but it's hard because we're meant to be in each other's boxes and not know. And so like, I can't look at that. That's American Eagle. No, you can. You have to read the letter. It's in the congressional record. And it tells you exactly what they're doing now, which is an apprenticeship program. But what they're not saying is the apprenticeship program was to put you in a haptic suit and train the robots. So this is being done with the Chamber of Commerce. And that's where I have a bit of a, you know, back and forth with folks. Like, yeah, it's the UN, but it's also IBM and it's also Exxon and it's also Raytheon. It is a, it is a global corporate structure that wants to remake life in a way that they can play God and control. So again, I mentioned that the Federal Reserve is part of the, the, the pathways of moving. Um, the United Way is a central part of this collective impact. Whenever you see collective impact, they are running the ALICE project. Um, they have captured all of the media. I mean, I think we're all living through knowing what media capture looks like. But even before that, solutions journalism came out of the New York Times op-ed. It's funded by all the same people funding what we're living through right now in terms of the silencing and deplatforming, all these major foundations. And they're going to sell us on poverty management. 
which is not to say that poverty isn't a huge issue and it's going to be a bigger issue, but what the way in which they want it managed is going to be very harmful. And a lot of that is tied to the Knight Foundation. And again, that's out of ASU that that's underwritten by them. Um, so, and they're working in Tucson again on uh, immigration issues, issues that people care about. Like these are all issues we should care about, but we should care about them in a way that doesn't put people into a technocratic video game. So I'm just, I've mentioned this before. Who does the social services? Oftentimes is faith communities, all kinds, right? And then often faith communities that are in positions of having large endowments, they want to be the good people, right? They want to invest their money in things that are good. And they're going to say, you should invest in these pre-K bonds. They're really good. They take care of kids. And what I'm showing up, like I went to the Unitarians in Philadelphia and they have the Black Lives Matter banner. And I said, but you need to ask, like when you invest your endowment, if you're investing in things like pre-K social impact bonds, does it come with a surveillance play table? Like you have to peel it back a little more because you can't just do the feel good thing. Like, oh, I've been doing the green thing or the kid thing. Like, no, because if it's run on data, if it's a collective impact project, you know, I went to one of these forums with Total Impact and all of these suits, people going in to plan all of this out. It was on May 4, 1st in 2018 and I'm, but me and myself, my little, and I'm like, what are you doing? And I told this guy, I said, you, they're not things to be impacted. The poor are not things that you can impact. They're not your things. They're not things. And it's like he never thought about it. He never thought about it that way. So I will just say this community care system, please look at it, especially if you're part of a faith community. Are you lean libertarian? This is out of a paper in Idaho. And they're saying, like, this is how blockchain is going to get the government off your back. Okay, so they're saying, look, invest in your community. And yesterday we had an, a very nice discussion about local currency. It's not this. I don't think this is how we want to invest in our people, is on blockchain as in a commodity that has uh, trustless trust that's on a machine. Uh, but that's what they're pushing. And so people need to know that. Um, uh, so the, again, this is from the Alice platform. This is a blockchain platform in the United Kingdom. It was actually funded by... Oh gosh, Nominate Trust. And Nominate Trust was the entity that was spun off from the entities that gave all the IP addresses. It was the corporate foundation. So you imagine the internet of things, the internet of bio nano things. The people who are signing the addresses are gonna have lots of power and money. So they're setting up, this is how you invest in poor people on blockchain. And it's both children, housing, mental health, and global and humanitarian aid because many of these programs are tested in the global aid space first. Syrian refugees in particular. So you can see on this LSI paper that they're talking about a secondary exchange market with trading contracts to provide liquid investments. Okay, that's the securitization of poor people. Okay, because they can't just wait to see if they fixed you or not. They need to trade it later. But the trading and the value of that trade is going to depend on you as a character in the game and what your real-time value and your social credit score is based on the geofencing and the satellite positioning and whether you're complying or not. So yeah, again, just to reemphasize, anything that is an investable commodity, once it's securitized, can also be shorted, okay? And I mentioned yesterday the income sharing agreements that are tied to the New Jersey career impact bonds with social finance. Uh, that platform they're gonna use probably to securitize that debt was set up by uh, Edley and is set up by Christopher Riccardi. And I mean, Wall Street Journal says it straight up, the grandfather of CDOs trying to do for higher education what he did for mortgages, okay? Um, so yeah, so it's also the Vatican. We know that they had a big conference recently. They have uh, 
three social impact conferences, 2014, 2016, 2018. They've been working on a long time. One of these, uh, social finance is embedded, Omidyar Network is embedded, and sister Helen Alford is an economist. And in one of the talks, she says, you know, it's going to be really great. The, uh, the, the Catholic Church is, is going to be on the leading edge of um, innovation, and we're going to be the conscience of big business, and it's going to be just like 15th century Florence with the bishops in charge of the big book of moral economic decision-making. I mean, and like, I'm not making any of this up, but once you read this, you can't sit back and go like, okay, Helen, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I want the bishop to be in charge of my moral economic decision making. Thank you very much, even as you are the conscience of IBM. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, and in our city, actually, Sister Mary Skillion with Project Home, they're doing a lot in, in affordable housing. So they're actually, they've taken away city-owned public housing. They've turned it to privatized vouchers, which will likely soon be... Um, uh, Blackstone, you know, the single largest realty provider, and that um, it's run through the Catholic Church, this housing access, right? So imagine that you're being put on a housing pathway or self-improvement pathway, and you're put into a faith-based community that doesn't match your faith. You know, like, I mean, it could happen, right? And, and the head of our Federal Reserve is a former Wharton professor, Philadelphia Fed, who is, was on the board of Catholic Relief Services. So this stuff is all knit together. Um, so again, you know, inclusive capitalism complements of the Vatican. They just really like to, to be more inclusive, right? I mean, the problem was inclusive. Like some people didn't actually want to be included in the plan, right? And then they didn't actually have the choice. Um, so they had this big conference. Uh, recently, uh, the uh, Unite to Prevent, that's the, the Vatican. So they're gearing up for their program. Again, it's the biosecurity state. It's going, the new wilderness, the new manifest destiny empire is your cells is yourselves. So that's Ronald Cohen. Everybody should know Ronald Cohen. I have some articles about him. Uh, Raul uh, Diego did a really nice piece at Silicon Icarus about that. Um, but he's a key player that nobody knows about. And the thing is, at that conference, there were a lot of people from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I will just say. Like, they're, they're, they're very closely together. I've mentioned Salt Lake City as being a center of a lot of the technology. And this is from the Salt Lake Tribune. So if we understand markets and the pressure of markets and how it works, is that if you're investing, where do you put your investments where the imperative is making money, right? And so you're putting them in health and technology stocks. And so, you know, this was, I, I'm not sure... It might have been a couple years ago that these were the top stocks, but you see Apple, Microsoft, Google, this is Ensign Peak Advisors. Um, it says of their stock holding, 7% were split between Apple and Microsoft, right? Johnson & Johnson, Intel, Facebook, Visa, JP Morgan Chase, Health Group, Merck, Berkshire Hathaway, Disney. These are all people who are running this program, I'm telling you. They're running the game, right? And so you cannot, we have to try to find ways of holding our institutions accountable to us no matter where they are because the imperative within this really toxic game is that they don't. So um, players, I will say, I've been in touch recently with people who are targeted individuals and if you had asked me like a couple years ago, I, I just don't know what I would even make. But after you sit and listen to James Giordano, you listen about neurotech and neuroweapons and smart cities, they need a test bed for this. And it's very likely, I think, that the platform in which some of the, some of the stuff is psychological warfare beyond sensory technology or neurotech is um, disruption, like wrecking people's lives, just cutting them off in traffic. Uh, arguing with them in the grocery store and that creating that as a gig platform, like an Uber platform, but instead of or whatever, like driving groceries, you sign up to like harass people like just enough and then pull back. Like, I mean, and I'm not making this up, but I think like I've had people tell me because I had pieces they didn't have and then that was their piece. So I think we have to understand that all of this will have a test bed and we have to be very um, 
empathetic towards people in that circumstance because everyone tells them they're crazy. And I don't think that they're crazy. I think they're living in an insane world. So again, so uh, Idemia, okay, I mentioned they're, they're setting up your driver's license. So there's your augmented identity, guys. Welcome to augmented identity world. You're now a cartoon character. We're creating digital twins. Here, we'd like for you to level up and emotionally connect with avatars instead of people, right? You're going to love them. Here are some people. Alice, that's the United Way. They're managed poverty program of the working poor. Uh, they're working in partnership with Strive Together, the cradle to career uh, human capital development. And they're with the United Way of Tucson and Southern Arizona, so keep an eye on them. Um, Again, I mentioned about the targeted individuals, but understanding that and potentially connecting to a gig economy of harassment. I mean, if you think harassment is bad just at the level of sort of everyone's psychological hysteria now, imagine monetizing it, right, and gamifying it, right? That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, uh, so uh, this is from Joseph's game, but it's like a street fight, right? And I'm sort of imagining like, okay, well, what if you have AI that's managing setting people up to like fight other people in the street and you don't even know what's happening? You don't know why. Sometimes things have happened to me and I don't, I don't know why that happened, right? And there's a story that's going on behind you that you don't actually have access to, but you're caught in somebody else's game. Um, again, your, your ability to transact with the world is dependent on what's in your blockchain wallet. That's not just money, which is what the focus largely is around... Independence is the, the finance piece, but it's about rights and privileges. Um, they're working, a lot of this is evolution out of Second Life. Second, the guy in Second Life is working on blockchain and uh, gig economies and other things. They, their, their goal is a single sign-on for the internet. Eventually, if you, you will have to sign on to the internet, you will be trackable. The cyber hacks that are like predicted will force that, and then there will be nothing that you can do other than sign on, and they will know where, where you are digitally all the time. Because just like they want to track you in the material smart city, they need to track you in the metaverse too. And that's, that's, that will link your digital twin. Your wallet will be sort of your portal between the you you that lives in the world we know and then the virtual twin you that lives in the other world. So a lot of the digital twinning is coming through the medical space. So they're working on digital twinning, uh, the future of health. That is from Macroize website. And you can see that is how they imagine humanity is coded and energetically virtualized, but not individualized. It's just matter. It's programmable matter. That's how they see us. Um, and the blockchain will also be used to track your cell therapies. That'll be part of the game. In the eugenics, like what is a eugenics for a post-human world? Your electronic health record, and that's what Ezekiel Emanuel was to set up with the ACA, was the, the electronic tracking that will be put on blockchain. Uh, the rules, we know the sustainable development goals, those are the rules. Uh, we know that the sustainable development goals are linked to global finance. This is not really about fixing the problem of climate you know, problems with the climate, problems with the environment, problems with poverty. It's about managing it in a profitable way. So the BlackRock is, you know, I think BlackRock may just be AI, like a reference to AI, that this thing that is like a mega thing, there are people who conjecture that the whole lockdown was predicated on the power that BlackRock has over the world in terms of investments. Um, so New America is funding Arizona State through this public interest technology. Uh, they have something called Bretton Woods II. And again, if you understand, like I, I was brought up with a certain framing around the New Deal, um, and it wasn't, am I after two? Do I have five minutes? Okay. Um, so I was framed that it was like a good thing to take care of people. And I didn't understand that there were carve outs and that like domestic labor, agricultural labor, predominant labor of, of black and brown people was not protected and that it was meant to, to add certain, certain policies and sort of put like take this lid off and keep the machine going, right? To reset it, to keep it going. And this Bretton Woods too is going to be the digital currency reset and the gamification of life to keep it going. So um, the, the connection between Arizona states 
and New America with Eric Schmidt, that is very important. Eric Schmidt is a major player with New America, but they're doing things around policy change, uh, digital impact around government because they really want a mechanical government and asset allocators. So it's all going to sound good. We want stakeholder capitalism. We want the good kind only. We don't really. We don't want that. Um, what works cities, your smart city, the data analytics that keeps the game running. It, it's turning you into the harmonized digital citizen. Um, I will say, I said yesterday, Estonia is the model. And Tim Draper, who is an actively involved in that development of that program, he says he doesn't think that we actually need physical countries anymore. Because guess what? They're going to put you in the casita and put you in the haptic suit. And they don't need a country for that. I mean, they can go bop around in the real world, but you're going to be trapped. So you're going to have it Bitcoin as a virtual currency, and, and it can be global. And that's, that's what moves their thing. So you've already got three what work cities at least. Mesa, Scottsdale, and, and Tempe are all in the Bloomberg. Bloomberg is a key person pushing moneyball government, data-driven government, data-analytics government. Um, a lot of the research came out of actually New York University, the governance lab, which is sort of at the bottom, that purple dot. Uh, Arizona State, they had, I think, seven different conferences, many in the US, but also in Toronto and London and Italy. Um, they had several here at Arizona State University. There were many, there are many departments at Arizona State that are connected with this larger uh, industrial engineered government lab system. Uh, so Michael Crow is working in not only with the future of war folks in the gamified education, but in the digital government space. Um, and this is just like what one of these things looks like. Like they're, they're going to come in your house and, and track your parenting on a tablet for a social impact deal. This is coming. I think this one is in Boa Vista, Brazil. So, you know, they've already got it. Is it scalable? I don't know how scalable it is, but it's coming. Um, it's the Panopticon. Shopping with your DNA. They're going to nudge you. I don't think it's going to be a gentle nudge. Um, they want to, the, yeah, uh, food stamps, uh, yeah, it's, it's gamification. It's exactly what Patrick said. It's going to be, uh, if we'll give you some SNAP benefits, but then we're going to trigger whether you buy the good food or the bad food and then incentivize. But in the end, the incentive, they'll cut the things that you can only do it if you always make the good choice. And if you're homeless, if you live in a food desert, if you work three jobs, you may not be able to ever play that game. So, so yeah, so Social prescribing, all these pathways are called social prescribing, the assignments. Here's your to-do list. Here's, here's what you're supposed to do. Uh, your navigator, your social work navigator will put you on the pathway. They'll just wind you up and tell you what to do to be a good, harmonized citizen. Um, along the way, like we'll control you through the geofencing, and that'll be your, your medical status that will constantly test you. Arizona has the healthy community. Like who could think there was anything wrong with that, right? If you didn't see all the lead-in photos, you would think that, hey, I want everybody to be healthy, right? Like, no, they don't want you to be healthy. Um, it's important to know that this is linked to privatized welfare, and all of the for-profit prison groups are moving into social work. Geo Group and CoreCivic, Continuum of Care, that's what they call it. So they've got your big brother, Bloomberg. He built his European headquarters on the Mithric Temple in London. So those of you who are interested in esoteric stuff, that's, that's going on. Um, it's the gamification here at Arizona State. They're, they're gamifying it all. Thrive is one of these pathway programs, and that was developed at Arizona State in the gaming program. And if you hear about UBI, that's going to be programmed money. They're going to tell you how to spend it, what you have to do with it. This is a real program, Hustle Score. They're putting poor people online and saying they have to upload their data, show if they're hustling enough, right? So, yeah, I, I think I think I'll maybe I'll just stop here. But lo local currency skills, you know, they want to put everything on a token, learn it, earn it, share it. You've got these different quests, health quests. They're working in Orange County. They're going to put people on these pathways with your AI. Rockefellers are involved in both health and education, and they're putting you on a on a data dashboard. So 
yeah, but we we don't. I don't think that this is going to be how it's going to go. Again, I've got the moms here. Um, we, you know, we're energetic beings, and this life does not want this. Life does not want this thing. So I know many of you were here yesterday, but I still do have some extra. So I will just the dandelion manifest. <laughs> like people are like, how do you say all these things? And you actually still say like kind of, but like people need to know. But I I seriously believe that it's not going to all come out how they think that they, they are overblowing this, but I think people deserve ethically to know where it is, at least people who have this fortitude to look at it. So thank you. Thank you.